Hey everyone, it's David Warrench. Welcome again to the Authentic Dad Podcast. Thank you for listening. Today I have Eve Bradford. Eve is a really interesting person. She's a poet. She teaches um, a really unique blend of post-Taoism and Qigong and something they call depth sexuality. If you are interested in sort of alternative forms of spirituality, this is the conversation for you. Um, she is certified through the Mogadal Institute, and this is an original lineage of Qigong and um, post-Taoism and some other things. I hope you stick around for that. My website is further, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach, further.coach. You can reach out there. I do coach fathers and non-fathers, and I will give you a free 30-minute consultation, conversation, if you just want to say, hey, please email me um, there as well. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope wherever you are, you're staying well and healthy. And here we are. I have Eve Bradford. Bradford, excuse me. She's an educator, an artist, and oracular practitioner, working at the intersections of art, activism, medicine, and magic to create work that is an uncompromising call into authentic aliveness. And she's been producing events, curating content, facilitating community ceremony, creating ritual theater, and generally contributing to the evolution of West Coast underground culture for the last 15 years. And after a series of profound life-changing events in 2017, want to hear about that, um, she began training intensely and became a teacher for the Mogadal Institute. And it's an original lineage of Qigong, depth sexuality, sexology, martial arts, meditation, and post-Daoist philosophy created by her mentor, Zen Dao. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. Zhen. Uh, mm-hmm. Zhen, Zhen Dao, sorry. And she currently teaches um, online, both in daily drop-in classes and focused longer-term thematic courses. Now, where do we begin with that, ma'am? That's, that's, quite, a, uh, that's quite a bio. <laughs> hey, by the way, thanks for, thanks for um, doing the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Very happy to be here. I think you're a fascinating person. Knowing you has been fascinating. So I would love to introduce you to as many people as possible. I think, as always, we should start at your story, how you landed as a Qigong teacher in this sort of unique um, modality that you use. Uh, can you can you bring us back? Absolutely. In the um, journey. Yeah, so I would say up until, as you mentioned, that fateful year of 2017, um, I would never have suspected that I would have become a teacher of an embodiment practice, that I was not that person up until that point. Um, I've been an intellectual and a mystic and a scholar and a poet and an artist, um, but was not particularly oriented towards embodiment um, in any kind of vocational way. I had, you know, I did yoga basically, and I loved to dance and I loved having sex, but that was, there was a real schism between what I understood as the really valuable aspects of my being, which was my intellect and my kind of spiritual orientation um, and my creativity and my body. My body felt very separate from that. And I felt pretty alienated from it <clears throat> as a source of value in my life. 
So and like like a lot of us, you were in all in the head. Very, very, very yeah, cerebral, yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I I enjoyed embodiment, but it felt very separate from what I had been validated for in my life, you know. And so could you just what how would you even define that term? I know it's a term it's sort of used around used a lot, popular term. How like how do you use how do you do even define the embodiment? Well, I think it's a it in the way that I'm using it, it's connected to a practice that mm -hmm. is focused in the body. So focused on, um, you know, kinesthetic practices of some kind, you know, usually based in some kind of spiritual foundation, but not always, not necessarily. It's really just body centered practice would be another way to put that. Um, so yoga or ecstatic dance or um, Tai Chi Qigong martial arts, mm -hmm. um, all of these things are, would be considered embodiment practices. Um, and, and, you know, then this sort of extended period of profound challenge and dissolution arose in my life. There were a variety of different things that happened, one of which was a pretty significant falling out with a spiritual teacher who I had been studying with for about 10 years. Um, and had been in a lot of dedication to, um, as 10 years of, of devoted study would imply. And we had a pretty significant falling out and um, it was quite heartbreaking. Um, it felt from my position really um, unjust mm -hmm. and as I think it generally does from one's own position. Um, <clears throat> and so that was a, a real dissolution. It was, you know, there was a community that I was no longer really included within as a result of the falling out and a whole way of being that I had been quite oriented towards. And um, though it wasn't residential, you know, I traveled to study. Um, it was a really big deal. And then on the tail end of that experience later that year, I, I experienced a, a very, a new close um, friend who we had a very particularly sort of unique soul connection. We had the same birthday. He was quite a bit younger than I, and I was, it's, it's a long story that I don't go in, need to go into detail with now, but basically I was present for a, a real death portal experience of his. Um, he had a really intense asthma attack in my presence and I was involved in trying to get him to the hospital where he lost consciousness while in my car. And it, it was mm. a very traumatic experience. Um, and it happened on the drive from my house to town. So mm. after that, every time I drove that, that drive, which I did multiple times a day, I was in re you know, visited into that experience. Um, and it really did a number on me. I was, I was really kind of a mess at that point. There were other smaller things that had happened over the course of the year that just, I just felt pretty lost, you know, and pretty disoriented inside of my own life. And it was at that time that I, I knew I needed to sort of get out of town and not do that drive for a minute 
truthfully, yeah. was like my primary objective. And so I came to New Mexico and did this workshop with a teacher who I had met once. Um, and, you know, her name was Genevieve Sophia Dow. And she was the founder, is the founder of the Mogadao practice lineage. And I had never done Qigong. You know, as I said, I wasn't like particularly yeah. embodiment oriented, but something about, I had gone to one one day workshop with her and that was called the erotic basis of being. And that phrase- Who just, wouldn't want to try that? I mean, it just captured my imagination in a really specific way. Um, and I was very- drawn to her teachings and to her whole way of being. Um, and so I went and did this week because I needed something and that was what showed up in that moment, you know? And, um, and over the course of that week, so much happened. The first thing that happened is that as I started doing this particular Qigong practice, I could feel trauma metabolizing in my body. And that was a profound thing to be aware of happening in the moment, you know, it was palpable. Um, I was also inside an atmosphere where everything mattered, where all aspects of my being were valued. So in most contexts, my experience had been that one aspect of my being was sort of validated primarily. And here it was right. the intellect, it was the soul, it was the spirit, it was the imagination, it was the body, it was the sexuality. Everything mattered. Everything was included and everything was integrated into everything else. Which is super unique because probably your, I don't know what modality your previous work was in, but I'm guessing it did not validate all aspects. It was like, let's say the spirit or... Definitely not. Absolutely. The body. Yeah. Like Definitely, the previous yeah. spiritual lineage I had been in with the teacher that I, I had the falling out with, the body had no place in that work. Mm -hmm. We sat there and listened to him talk. That's what we did. And we made things with our hands, but we never, mm -hmm. like, it was not about the body as a site of spiritual existence, you know, and sensuality was not included, you know. The as as a fellow as a fellow seeker, yeah, like I've I've no there is there's I've noticed um, there aren't a lot of things um, modalities that feel complete that integrate exactly. all these things. And it sounds like for you, this was like complete. It was because other situations I'd been in where the body was centered, then the intellect was undervalued, and mm -hmm. uh, you would have to sort of accept these really like unsophisticated, vastly oversimplified conceptions of what it was you were doing in order to do the practice. And that also didn't work for me because I really enjoy intellectual rigor. I really enjoy complexity and nuance, not complication, but complexity, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so all of that was present. Um, and it was as well as a beautiful poetic relationship with language, which that's my, you know, I have an MFA in, in poetry and creative writing. So that is also hugely important to me. And, and perhaps most important of all, it was really about the integration of the body with the mythopoetic imagination. And that combination for me is really where the medicine lies and in the understanding that they are not at odds with each other, that the imaginal is not outside of reality, that the imaginal is not separate from reality, that the imaginal is the birthplace of reality. Mm 
And so this understanding brought into the body through the Qigong practices, through the archetypal forms of the Qigong is so unique and so powerful. It immediately impacted me like upon contact. Mm -hmm. and, and then additionally, by the end of the week, the other thing that had happened that was as profound is that um, it was really as though a veil sort of lifted from my clear seeing of my life. And what I saw looking out over the landscape of my life was that I had been utterly confusing the experience of facilitating the meeting of other people's needs with mm -hmm. the experience of having my own needs met. And I really couldn't tell the difference between those two things. And suddenly I really saw it. I was like, wow, that's not actually my needs being met. Yeah. That's my experience of other people's needs being met and me so being the one that's meeting them. Sweet. You know, Were you could, like a pleaser. Totally. Is totally. That another way of saying I was just basically trying to please all these people and well, and um, and perhaps some more nuanced way of understanding it in terms of my own experiences is that I was deeply empathic. Like mm -hmm. it's not that I was trying to please them, it's that I actually couldn't tell the difference. Like right. it felt like my needs being met when their uh. needs got met. So it was like, it wasn't just that I liked the feeling of meeting their needs. It's that I didn't realize that's what was happening. Yeah, it was a lot more, it's a lot more intuitive. You weren't like consciously trying to. Not know. that I realized, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and so basically what happened is that I came into my own chi field, maybe for the first time in my life. And I could actually tell like, oh, these are my needs. Those are your needs. And my needs are not being met in this situation and yours are you know, and it's different. Yeah. And, and I could also similarly tell that I had been confusing my conception of myself, my identity, my self-identity with other people's perceptions of me. And I, I was not easily able to tell the difference between who they thought I was and who I actually am. And both of those things became startlingly clear after a week inside this work. So through the through the practices and through the practices, specifically 100%. this version of qigong, and I want to go back to a couple of things you said because mythopoetic is a term I don't think I've ever heard till I met you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Is it is it just a it's a little bit more than imagination, or is it? Yeah, mythopoetic. Mm -hmm. um, it it comes it you find it a lot in archetypal psychology, kind mm -hmm. of post Jungian archetypal psychology, um, and it it's really connected to uh, a whole framework of understanding that really centers the imagination as, as absolutely central to health, to yes. well-being, you know, and that our relationship to the mythopoetic it's, is very related to archetype and it's very related to the soul. So, the soul gets talked about a lot within the context of archetypal psychology, which post-Taoism, which is the lineage, the philosophy that Mogadao exists inside of, which was also created by Genevieve, um, is really an integration of a very unique um, reformulation of Taoist understandings 
integrated with archetypal psychology in a way that is is really unique because you're you're working with notions of the soul, which you're not going to find in Taoism. You know, Taoism doesn't really think about the soul in that language, but it actually maps beautifully onto it. And so when we talk about the mythopoetic, we're talking about the way in which our daily life is enriched and deepened and brought into its full potential for meaning and potency and power and beauty through our connection to the imaginal realm, which is the realm of the soul, the realm of archetype, the realm of, of the mythopoetic. And, and that it's not just this like fairy tale realm that's sort of superficial to existence and kind of just a, a kind of layer of added like pleasure right. maybe or pain um but it's actually integral to existence and that when that is denied our our very life is impoverished by that denial and that's really common in modern culture you know and a fantastic example of that is is um Genevieve had a video about a talk on her website about pornography and she what, I mean, it's vastly oversimplifying it that what is missing is imagination and the mythopoetic. And that's, that's why I think part of it feels um, not nutritious or, or depleting. And it was, I thought it was really profound talk. It's available on her website. It was fascinating and, and it really gave me a food for thought. And that's when I sort of went on a rabbit hole of what is this mythopoetic and the, some of the the authors and some of the psychologists who work in those realms, um, they're poets. So it's, it's, it's definitely um, really added a lot to my life, kind of diving down the rabbit hole of, of, of that work. So thank you for that. You, you definitely introduced me to that. Hmm. Um, I'm so glad it's really, um, yeah, it, it adds so much to life, truly. And let's kind of talk a little bit about Qigong itself. Like, real basically, how is it different from Tai Chi? People, have, I'm sure, have heard of both. And then I can tell you about my experience with, with the Qigong, which has been really fantastic. Um, so what is the difference, Qigong, Tai Chi? Okay, so... So both are Taoist martial arts, right? Well, Tai Chi is a martial art and Qigong is more of a medical practice on the most, like if yes. you're looking at traditional Chinese conceptions of these practices. So, and it really makes sense to look at it on a, on a continuum from Qigong to Tai Chi to Gong Fu. So Gong Fu is the hard martial art, right? Tai Chi is the soft martial art, but all the movements and all the practices are still martial in their derivation, even though they're slowed down and even made meditative at a certain point. Though in China, it's a competitive martial art. So it's, it's, it's very different here than there. But Qigong is distinct from both of those in that it is not a martial art. It's a healing art. And so the, and it, it's understood to be interacting directly with the health of the organs. And it's very connected to TCM, traditional Chinese medicine and the five element understanding within that, which within Mogadao we call it five realms because there's a 
it's a whole like expanded understanding that connects to psychospirituality, but it's still the same fundamental wood, fire, earth, metal, water kind of system that the forms are working within. And it's really practiced foundationally for healing and, and even for you know medicinal purposes. So on the most basic level, I would say that's the, that's the distinction. I just wanna say, I'm a raving fan. Um, having <laughs> done um, some of the Mogadal practices, but even just the really basic YouTube things for energy, for headaches, I mean, it seems, of course, my kids, laugh, they see me in the kitchen and they're laughing at me, but it's so profound and, and some of the movements and it gets, it's so basic. And by practicing these and actually, it looks simple and it looks basic, but it's actually quite fascinating and complex. And um, there is, you know, say what you want, there's a chi field. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, it, it's incredible yeah. what a difference um, practicing energy and paying attention to it can make in your life. I was suffering from energy and headaches and I have noticed I haven't gotten one since. I really haven't wow. since I've been doing it regularly, daily. Um, I have not gotten, uh, the last one I got was actually the uh, the capital attacks. <laughs> wow, well, and I said, extenuating. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I woke up from this wow. terrible migraine and my 12 year old said, you know, you missed a lot. And um, I was in such excruciating pain. I decided that I, I, I have to regularly do this because it works. Yeah. No, yeah. Obviously, I'm staying hydrated and trying to do all the right things, but it's definitely a great complement to a very healthy medicinal lifestyle um, and much, much more because of because of what you all have discovered and, and have your own unique blend. So hmm. I'm telling I always tell people just try. I don't know why it's not as popular, as marketable as yoga. It, it really isn't. I, I don't quite understand it because but it's not. I know it's interesting. I think there's a way in which Taoist practices are understated in a way mm -hmm. that doesn't lend itself to the sort of um, contemporary sort of late stage capitalist like spectacle, like soundbite oriented um, marketing culture, which is part of what I love about it actually mm -hmm. part of what I treasure about it um but it does mean that it I think you have to be paying a little closer attention to really you know you have to there's ways in which and and so much of you know the ways in which some of the subtler aspects of yogic practice have been lost in the contemporary applications of it for that purpose but there that's not done so easily with qigong and with with taoist understandings and so it's you just you you receive great benefits from being willing to really um drop into subtlety and nuance you know it really asks that of us which i think is something that's underdeveloped um in general so know. subtle and so nuanced is what because you know, when I first started, I was, let's say, um, looking at my email while I was doing it. And then as I got a little deeper, it's like, oh, no, you really aren't giving yourself the full benefit if you're multitasking. You really have to put your full energy in here. And I'm like, I can read this guy's email while I'm doing it. No, it's not. It's not the deal. No, definitely it's very not. subtle. It's very nuanced. 
and so. yet profoundly powerful. And that's, Extreme. you know, and I think that's part of the, the gift of this practice is that it actually changes our relationship to power because we begin to have a felt experience of the way that our level of sensitivity and our level of capacity for subtlety and nuance and, and paying attention, paying really careful attention is actually foundational to power, which in, again, in sort of the, it's an inversion of, of a lot of contemporary conceptions of what power is, which think it's leverage with, which think it's the ability to like assert your will, but actually there's something much deeper going on in terms of what real steady self um, foundation and, and capacity to cultivate harmony in our lives um, is rooted in, you know? Yeah. No, it's, and as you said, we, I don't know if it's a Western thing or an American thing, but me as well, like even when I would, you know, have, um, go to therapy sessions, the therapist always said, you're just, you're all in the head, you know? Mm -hmm. And this allows you to be out of the head and connect and, and build flow, by the way, the yeah. flow state, I find myself, yeah. which is not always Eat, you know, hard, it's hard to cultivate these days with with cell phones and COVID and craziness. To get into a state of uninterrupted flow is a gift in and of itself. And and this practice really, at least for me, helps me do that. I totally agree. Be fully I think immersed. That's one of the things that really cultivates, because we're so, as you as you alluded to earlier, like that multitasking has become the default state mm. and the capacity to hold a single pointed attention, which is absolutely required to be in flow, um, is going as, as something that we even value, you know, or that we even have a felt sense of it's, I think there's a way in which, you know, in, in Mogadou, Genevieve has coined a term actually, um, that we call info colonization syndrome. And it's just this way in which, as we said, the mythopoetic imagination has actually become colonized by the infosphere, by the inundation. And as you mentioned, like the sexual imagination being colonized by pornography is one aspect of that, one yes. pernicious aspect of that. But it's certainly not the only one. You know, the, the imagination overall is being colonized because there's no room for the imagination when we're constantly consuming images and stimulus and media. And so to just take an hour yeah. and stop and shut it off and put it away and actually just focus on your ability to move your hand in such a way that you don't mm -hmm. disturb the air as you move it. Is, it's a very different way to spend some time, you know? I couldn't agree more. And I, I think I'm thinking about even sense of humor. You know, my kids are looking at TikTok and Instagram and all of those things have kind of taken over what, we, what they think is funny. Yeah. And, and how, how we speak and how we, you know, how we, how the photos we, they, they take. And probably you're of the same, generation or similar as me that we're so unique and we've grown up with both yeah 
you know, pre-internet and post-internet. And I kind of, I kind of miss, uh, I kind of miss the old days where there wasn't, obviously technology is allowing us to do this conversation. You're in New Mexico and I'm in Maryland and we can see each other and it's amazing. And then I can record it and I can put it out to whoever in the world wants to listen to this, which is so great. But there's just so many things where uh, the lack, I mean, look, what you're saying is true that we have to, we create our own peace, our own power, our own flow. We, we have to do it. The world isn't going to do it for us. And, and no, in fact, not only, not only is the world not going to do it for us, but the world is going to inhibit us from mm-hmm. doing it. And that's where practice comes in because yeah. it, it actually really takes a concerted effort even to just sort of be at neutral yes. in terms of our relationship to all of this inundation like it if we are not actively involved in maintaining a certain level of mythopoetic sovereignty in the face of the infosphere then we are not going to be able to hold it at bay i mean it's really that simple and it's actually that um much of an epidemic you know it really is and so so practice is the thing that actually builds capacity to be sensitive enough to to recognize what it is that's being done to you and to actually want to hold it at a certain level of distance so that it doesn't completely rule your whole conception of reality right. and and which is a really nice uh, transition and your own authenticity and so you're not some some cog in the machine you have this quote on your website or it's not a quote maybe a tagline that says cultivating authenticity as the foundation of ecstasy which i think could you tell me more about that what does that mean why did you put that on there i love it yes absolutely it's one of my favorite things to talk about um you know anything any kind of uh statement like that is going to require a a certain defining of terms to begin Mm -hmm. with. So um, in terms of what I actually mean by ecstasy, which is pretty Mm -hmm. foundational to understanding what that statement is referring to, is that within the depth sexuality work that we do at Mogadao, which is foundational to the understanding of all the work because the Zheng is the foundational procreative energy that we're working with primarily, the relationship between the Zheng and the Qi, which is basically on the simplest level, the relationship between our our deep soul level potential and our personality, like who we're living as day to day. And so if we look at the, the relationship between who we were born to be and who we are currently, that's a really important dynamic to pay attention to and to tend to because there's a lot of aspects of health, of well-being, of psychology that are embedded in that relationship. And so ecstasy is in a way for for me and and for the work that we do at Mogadao is very connected surprisingly this may not be what you expect me to say it's very connected to a sense of belonging actually, and to a way in which we feel that our deepest selves, our most true selves, our zhing in our language, our most erotic, most creative, most authentic 
itself belongs to the world, has a place, is embedded in life, is connected to something larger than itself. And so in those moments that we think of as ecstatic, which is not unconnected to pleasure, you know, there's pleasure is a pathway into the ecstatic, but ecstatic is not itself defined by extreme mm -hmm. pleasure. It's something more expansive than that and more connected than that. And so that level of ecstatic awareness and consciousness of feeling ourselves as utterly embedded and utterly belonging to the Tao, to the web of life, is only possible when we are actually ourselves, right? If we're not actually authentically living as who we really are, then there's no way that we're going to feel a sense of belonging because we can only like if we're living as something that's not actually authentic, our deepest self knows that we're very aware of that. Mm -hmm. And so if we're, even if we have a place in the world, if we're very successful, if we're inside of a life that looks good on the outside, but it's not true to who we really are, there's not going to be ecstasy. There might be moments of pleasure, but there won't be ecstasy. There won't be that deep embedded belonging to the beauty of life because we're not actually living as ourselves. And so there's this really intricate connection between the work, the grit of bringing the, the Jing, the deep soul level blueprint of who we are meant to be into alignment with our day-to-day -day behavior right. and choices and gestures and language and way of being, when they come together, then the pathway to ecstasy opens. And when they're separate, it's not there. Mm -hmm. And do you think people living, let's say a conventional life, kids, house, maybe they work, uh, work at a bank. How would someone like that, you know, cultivate you know, I mean, I, I, probably through the practices, but like on a day-to-day, -day, if someone wanted, like loves that in theory, like what's the way in? Like, what would you say? Where would we start and say like, I, if someone says, you know, this doesn't quite fit, whether it's my job or I'm just, and I, I want that. I want to feel that belonging, that deep sense of authenticity, self-expression. I want to make everything align. Like what, where do you even start? Because these are huge concepts. Yeah. And I just want to be clear that living inside of a so-called conventional life doesn't mean that you're not authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, I just, I, cause I think sometimes maybe I can come across as sounding like I, I would, uh, kind of hierarchicalize one way of being over another, which I just want to be clear to anyone yeah, who's yeah. listening that, you know, it's, that that's not actually what determines well, the authenticity. I would just imagine that, someone someone just thinking, oh, that's not for me. That's not people like me or what I, I, I'm- Totally. You know what I mean? Which like, it actually, like, it's for everyone. It yeah. really is. And so it's such a good question that you asked, which is that the first thing that needs to happen in order to even begin to orient one's life towards the soul, towards the Jing, which just to be clear, that's where the overlap between Taoist understanding and, and archetypal psychology happens within post-Taoism is that we understand the Jing, the foundational sexual essence, 
as the substance of the soul, right? So in order to make contact with the soul, with the Jing, in order to begin to orient your life towards its wisdom, towards its intelligence, you have to have a felt sense of what it even feels like to make contact with it, right? Because what happens for most of us is that the chi, the, the kind of personality, the day-to-day -day life, the energy that we're using is so disoriented from the Jing that it doesn't even know it when it sees it anymore, right? It's like, and that's what happens is that when, they're, when their orientation is away from each other, that's when the world rushes in and can convince you that you want things you don't want, that you need things you don't need, that you hate yourself, that you, you know, all of that. And keep it separate, you know, keep everything exactly. in neat compartments. So, so it's all about so much of the work is just about reorienting the chi back towards the jing right? That's so much of the work. And there's, you know, the practices are absolutely the foundational way to do that. That's why they exist, because it's, it's a difficult thing to do otherwise. Um, but if one is not prone to practice, or feels sort of like, unsure, if that's for them, then the thing to begin tracking is that for many of us, the most kind of easily understandable um, example of the Jing lifting into the field of Qi, that's the way we speak about it, right? Of that connection is that the Jing lifts into the field of Qi and becomes Qi. So that sensation, the most sort of common familiar sensation of that is of deep connected sexuality. So when, when real arousal is occurring, that is an experience experience of the Jing lifting into the Qi. It's not the only experience, but it's one that like, we have that, we have a sense of what that feels like. Another moment that is a really good example of kind of identifying what that contact with the Jing feels like is when you're in the world and you come across someone or something, some circumstance where you feel this rush of like, oh my God, I was born for that. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I was here for. And you have that like, that's the voice of the soul. That's what that is. That's what that moment is. That's the Jing speaking you to you in the voice of desire, right? Like we understand authentic desire as the voice of the soul directing you towards the life you were born for, right? And so that happens in small moments, but you have to begin to orient towards those moments and then the practices are the things that help you do that because that's difficult especially if you're out of practice you know and not paying attention as yeah you might you might miss it that's like what ferris bueller you know life moves pretty fast yeah yeah exactly not and, paying and, attention you might miss it and the fact is that you know it I feel it's really necessary to acknowledge that there are myriad forces in contemporary life that are heavily invested in us missing it mm -hmm. because that's when we become manipulatable. It's when we become sort of susceptible to conditioning and control and exploitation and marketing. And, and so the more kind of divorced the chi is from the Jing, the better little consumers we are, you know, and because 
one of the things that happens when the qi and the jing are in clear communication and and are connected is that we are much less susceptible to bullshit like we just we know ourselves we understand what it is that our what is healthiest about our being actually wants and needs to thrive and anything else really begins to lose its power and yeah it's really hard to sell a sell a product to somebody who's who's like that who knows they don't need right. it mm -hmm. you know it's really and it's it's profound and it's not like that's what you're focusing on when you're practicing that's what's been really um powerful in my own life is that as i began practicing there's certain things that i hadn't even really associated with being a like a result of the practice that just sort of started to naturally happen one of them that's a really strong example in my own life is that as i really came inside of these practices and started to do them regularly i started to my whole relationship with my body image really started to change mm. you know i have a a body that is not the societal ideal i've struggled with it my whole life i've was taught very effectively to hate it from a very young age yeah. and as i came inside these practices it's like and that was something i had sort of resigned myself to it's like i couldn't will myself into not feeling that way i could do all the affirmations and all the like self-love mm -hmm. and it just like didn't stick you know it was just like so pernicious and and really honestly it has shifted through this work in a way that it's not like I was trying to do that. It's just naturally started to happen because the conditioning that had convinced me that I was somehow lacking for not meeting this absurd standard just started to lose its grip on me because something much more powerful and something much more true was forming in its place that just sort of replaced it. It's not that I was like trying to get rid of it. It's right. that something else came in, you know? Well. And so there's hope for the bald man as well, you know, as a, as, as, a, as, as a bald man, as a, as a, as a dad bod, this, uh, this sounds like, no, I mean, what you're describing is exactly what you said before, when, as I practiced and became more, felt more belonging and, and, and authentic and feeling that I'm expressing myself and aligned in all of those buzzwords, guess what? All these other things changed. Yeah. And what, what's nice is that you started in 2017, right? Mm -hmm. for, for me, sometimes I'll get, I'll get really excited about a new practice or a book or a teacher. And um, I, I, I change channels too fast. I'll start to do it for a month or two, and then I'll do this and do that and do this. I get really restless. And I'm glad that it it's still after what, three, four years of daily practice, it's you're still learning things and it still resonates. So it's sustainable is what I'm, for you. Absolutely. And I'm like you, I, that was something I have experienced also is sort of like getting initially excited about something and then it would sort of shift and, um, and this, and I think part of that is because this is a really, it's, it's an embodiment practice that I find the people who are really drawn to it and people who stick with it are people for whom other embodiment practices lacked something. Usually, a more imaginal, mythopoetic, intellectual component. 
Because for me, like my mind and my imagination also need to be engaged. Yep. If it's just body, I lose interest. You're but the fact that this is, yeah, exactly. And, and so the fact that this is really both working together is, um, is I think part of what makes it so engaging. I mean, I always struggled with that because there are so, you know, so much information, books and programs and coaches and therapists and spiritual things. And then sometimes they, you get confused because they're, um, the programs or the books or the things I'm filling my head with in and of themselves are contradictory. And so you really have to have, and it sounds like for you, this is like, you really have to have an operating system. Like, like how am I viewing the world? What lens am I using practices? And this um, is a super interesting one. Um, tell me about, I don't want to keep you too long about your offerings and maybe some other books that you would recommend. I know, and you teach classes on this, of course, we'll talk about that, but um, also any like books or resources that people should check out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm teaching regularly and, um, and it really is as I've, you know, as has I'm sure become abundantly clear from this conversation, it really is about the practices, you know, the, the readings are complementary, mm. but the practices are the foundation. You're not going to get what we're talking about from reading anything, especially yeah. because this particular lineage is, um, it's, it's different. We're a bit of a rebel lineage, you know, we're not inherited Taoism. We're a, we're a reimagining of inherited Taoism synthesized with aspects of, of, um, and there are no downloads, archetypal psychology, <laughs> and there are no downloads. This We're is taught live. Based lineage. Mm. Yep, it's taught live. And also Genevieve is working on a book on post house mm. philosophy. So that is coming, which is very exciting. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, there's, I teach Qigong four times a week and those classes are drop in by donation as I have been doing since the beginning of the pandemic because I have such a sense of this is medicine for our times, it is. Yeah. And and um, and so I really wanted there to be at least one way to work with me that had zero barriers to entry. So that's that one. Um, and the classes are beautiful and you can have absolutely no experience and just jump right in. and all the descriptions for the diff there's different forms that kind of tend to different things there's the arrows bridge form which is you know oriented towards the erotic basis of being work and then there's the other one i would mention just because it feels particularly relevant to the times we're living in is the three pillars qigong for anxiety and trauma which is mm -hmm. uh you know just a really beautiful accessible practice for tending to the autonomic nervous system and all of that um so that's one part of it then there's also um you know i do courses so kind of focused committed um deep dives into the depth sexuality work um the reclaiming eros um, is a is a course that I created that really introduces to the entire body of the depth sexuality philosophy and practices. The subtitle of that is Sex as Medicine, Art, Activism, and Prayer. Um, and so just to give you a sense of the scope. The titles are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're poets, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that's um, a 
a, a six week course. And I actually, for the first time coming up, starting in March, I'm doing one specifically for male bodied people um, because I've gotten some feedback from friends and that, that they would really love to be in that space with other male-bodied people and to really tend to the nuances and the specificities of, of that experience. The, the glaring exception, of course, being myself. Mm. But, um, but I, part of why I really felt called into this work actually is had to do with feeling like in a post uh, Me Too era, a lot of really good men that I knew felt like the only way to be a good man was to shut down their sexuality. And, and that's not good for anyone, actually. And so I feel really passionate about, you know, helping to facilitate clear pathways into healthy male sexuality. Um, and, and that it's, there are, it's no, there's not a lot of that out there. So there's not, Great and it's job. so important and so beautiful. So that's coming up, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. um, that's a six week course. And then I also do uh, retreats around the five realms theory and the cosmological Qigong and the more sort of like the, the five element, like our adaptation of five element theory, which is deep philosophy and medicine. And that's where things get pretty heady, mm -hmm. but also still very embodied. All of that's on the website. And then I also work with people privately as you all know. And, um, and I love working with private clients that gives an opportunity for my own empathic nature to attune specifically to a particular person and to really create practices and under fields of understanding that are working just in a much more specific way with whatever someone is navigating. And, and that, you know, I work with people around a lot around sexuality, but also around a whole manner of just right. sort of what we touched on in terms of coming into authenticity and feeling that alignment between personality and destiny. So um, in addition to that, um, there's, you know, the mogadowinstitute.com is, is the, is the website for the Mogadow Institute. My personal website is originalskin.org. Um, and so there's, some really amazing videos on the mogadowinstitute.com yeah. website of Genevieve's talks and her, um, you can really get a feel for um, kind of the foundational philosophy. And then she also teaches online, which is all there. So that is, and, and other Mogadow teachers are teaching and that's all, that's all on that website. Um, as far as readings go, I wish there was more that I could recommend, honestly. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, there, there aren't things that are exactly this, but I do really recommend if you're interested in, particularly in the notions of the mythopoetic imagination and archetype and the soul and that side of things, um, James Hillman is, you know, a really interesting thinker. It, yep. If you're new to his work, I think his book, A Blue Fire, is a great introduction. Read it. Great and book. Great well, book, right? Yeah. I mean, it's dense, interesting, but it's yeah. it's really good. So he's like, if you're interested in that particular aspect of things, and then you know, I really I read a lot of poetry as like Ooh, the place recommend some poets that in I go to. Okay, I would love to recommend some poets. So, um, I I love Diane De Prima. Her book Loba is amazing. It's very. It's a whole book length examination of the wolf goddess that's radical and profound. Cool. Um, I, I love Lee Young Lee. Um, his, his book, Book of My Nights is a really 
deep engagement of the mythopoetic imagination. Um, Walt Whitman, eternally, forever, unendingly. I read Song of Myself, um, parts of Song of Myself, like many times a week. Um, it feels like really? such nourishment and medicine. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, there's really no one quite like him along with Emily Dickinson and, you know, classics who I love, but, but he's like of the classics, he's, he's my go-to definitely. Um, and then additionally, you know, I just feel like there's some really interesting work happening right now, which is a sort of a, something that I feel really responsible to in my life as a healing arts practitioner is that I'm really putting a lot of time and energy into tending to the interface between um, healing arts work and social justice work and, and the way in which those things need to be informed by each other. Right. Um, and Because they're not usually. It doesn't no, seem, sadly, you know, no. Not, and I mean, they, actually way not even close. They're not integrated at all. Yeah. yeah. And so there's, there, it's like starting to happen more. And, mm -hmm. and as a practitioner, I'm really dedicated to, to, because I'm working with trauma and sexuality and all of these things that are so sensitive and nuanced and, but I'm working somatically, which is an amazing resource. And um, there's an amazing book called My Grandmother's Hands by a man named Resma Menekem that um, really looks at, at um, racial equity from the perspective of racialized trauma and, and, and looks at the way in which these things have been institutionalized and perpetuated in our culture as trauma and the approach to healing trauma is somatic. So that's been really important to me and my own work right now in terms of understanding the interface between the way that somatic healing methodology is a resource for showing up to the profound sociopolitical moment that we're in at this time. And that I really don't see them as separate. I really see the necessity and the the capacity to resource ourselves so that we are not operating at the knife's edge yeah. of, you know, collapse, and which allows us to participate in the intensity of culture from a place of resource. And so that's something that I feel really passionate about and, and want to just be continually inviting people into. Love that. Yeah. I mean, how would the world be if we were all resourced? Exactly. To, to a certain. I mean, that's the. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or if, or if they taught some of these things in school, which they'll never do. But if. It, yeah. It would be but even totally just different... each of us taking responsibility to learn how to soothe yeah. our autonomic nervous system, the degree of like charge in the socio political sphere would be so reduced, you know? Yeah, and someone who. I'm talking about pays attention to this stuff and they practice as much as they can. It's still a struggle. I mean, it's, yeah, there's so yeah. many forces that, uh, that deplete. Exactly. And so this is a way that allows us, you know, to really, I'm always interested in integration and synthesis, right? Because my experience of the world is that the focus on compartmentalization and categorization and is, it's not actually that helpful. 
and because the world is not actually existing in categories. It's no. a big, messy whole. And so the more that we resource ourselves, the more that we are able to show up in a resourced way for our relationships, for our families, for our vocation, and beyond that, the more that we're able to show up resource for our communities, for our socio-political involvement, for like the world. And then in addition to that, for our relationship to the invisible world, to the natural world, to the non-human world, right? All of those things are relational. It's all relationships that need tending. And it all is uh, brought into health and yeah and beauty by resourcing our capacity to show up for our relationships. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Thank you for the work that you do. I mean, it's as unfortunately, a lot of these, these practices um, are, are in a vacuum and aren't thinking about social justice or yeah. relationships to the world. It's, you know, it's, I'm not saying there's anything, you know, talking, uh, poo-pooing anything that anyone does. It's very helpful. That doesn't, in, um, address social justice, but to have those practices address that is just all the more powerful. I agree, absolutely. All right, well, I'll let you go. You've given given us plenty to uh, to work on. Lots of poetry to look up, books, classes to attend. I really appreciate uh, taking the time. This has been, as always, very very interesting and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And just the titles of the classes themselves, people. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> just like, like, just like, what the hell? That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Well, thank you, David. It's such a pleasure. Mm. And um, I just look forward to the ongoing conversation. Yeah. Well, uh, last question. I know it's, I always have to ask, how's the weather over there in, in New Mexico? Oh, it's so snowy right oh, now. We got okay. like a foot of snow last night. It was, it's so beautiful. I'm I'm really happy. Okay. It's been a very dry winter, so okay. Right. It's yeah, it's like, kind of it's kind of a little snowy here too, but I was all right. I love right. it. Okay, have a good day. Thank you. See you ya. too. See you. Bye bye. Yeah. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Eve Bradford. I love what she does. I love how she articulates what she does, and it's interesting that people like her are still innovating in the realms of spirituality because I think it's a place where we think of as you know we already have these lineages and these old older traditions and the Mogadal Institute and Eve are innovating in that realm and I think that's really exciting check her out thanks again for joining me please consider writing a five-star review of the podcast and we will see you next time take care